Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Redrawing the Bath. This is Chris Harmon, your host, and and today we have the the special opportunity to speak with someone who has made a pretty big impact in in my life personally and and throughout my my faith journey in in so many ways. And it's not every day you get to talk to someone who who's made an impact like my guest today has has made in my life. And so, without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show the host of the Can I Say This at Church podcast, Seth Price. Seth, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Chris, thank you for having me. And also thank for, I can't talk. Thank you for all of that. Um, yeah, got me tongue tied there. I My wife would tell you that I don't really accept um, praise or gratitude well. It's something that I'm working on, but but thank you for that. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I wanted, I was thinking about doing more, but I figured from the interactions we've had, I was like, I don't think that this guy's love language is, is, is a lot of encouragement and building up. So I'm, I was like, I'm going to talk him up for minutes and just be like, this guy's awesome. You don't even understand how excited I am. But I figured, you know, I understand to say this dude has had a really big impact on my life. So well, and I want to say that to you. Thanks. I appreciate it. And my wife will tease me. So I lead, like when I play worship at the church, if I do a good job, people will tell you, hey, music was good today. And I just kind of, <laughs> I just stand there like, okay. And my wife's like, what he meant to say was thank you. How is your son? Because <laughs> I just like, because I'm kind of like, well, that was the expectation, right? Yeah. That's what we were supposed to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but yeah, but, but thank you again for that. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, I'd I'd love to start just by asking you what what your your story is, what what your faith has looked like throughout your life, what what your schooling was. I, I mean, I'm I'm assuming a lot of the people that'll hear this have heard your podcast before, but just for those who have not, what what has your faith journey looked like over the course of however long it's it's been a been a thing? Oh man, that's We've got, we've got a, we're going to have to talk for hours on that. Um, no, we won't. So, I mean, my, my story is similar to a lot of people. You know, I grew up in the quote unquote church. Uh, I grew up in West Texas, spent the bulk of my adult or young adult or adolescent life there. And uh, just, uh, I can remember, you know, growing up in vacation Bible school, uh, Royal Ambassadors, you know, that type of stuff. And then around you know, fifth, sixth grade fell away. My parents stopped going to church. And so I stopped going to church and it wasn't until high school. I realized that's where the pretty women were and went back <laughs> to church with a friend. And then oddly enough, that's where, you know, I fell back in love with God. I can, I don't know if I've ever said this on anybody's show or not. So I'll say it here. So I can remember, did you see that I can only imagine movie? No, I didn't. I I have I have a habit of avoiding movies like that. To be brutally honest, well, it's fine. Um, my my wife and I went because that's what she wanted to see at the theater, and so that's where we went. But um, the music is great. I love that band, uh, at, mm. at least the old version. But they did the circuit around where I'm from growing up, and so they were at some youth conference that I went to, you know, for the weekend. But um, the best part of that movie was all these songs that are not on the radio that when we're in the movie theater. I can I know all the words because those were the albums that you had to buy, you know, out of their trunk. They were not the they aren't the albums that, you know, they're all the ones from before I can only imagine. And um yeah. I'm sorry, I don't even say like I said what the band was. That's mercy me. But um I can remember, you know, music for me has always been a big thing and it still is. A certain song gripping a hold of me. Um and uh you know, I wrestled with God for a bit there. And then literally you know, life changed, decided to go to Liberty University, um, fell further and further and further into fundamentalism until I got out of college and realized I'm pretty sure that's not Jesus. Uh, it seems too political. And then spent many, many years, you know, breaking all of that apart with some really close friends all the way up to today when I actually struggle. If people ask me, what's my faith? I, I struggle to use any words because Christian definitely fits, but I'm also fine to not use that term. Um, uh, you know, madly in love with Christ, but, um, yeah, I I happen to go to a Baptist church. I'm just not a Baptist. If that makes any sense at all, it probably doesn't. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes perfect sense that, that, 
that situation definitely resonates with me a lot. And I'm sure it resonates with a lot of the people that, that we interact with. Um, so a, just a quick question about kind of going into Liberty. And as you said, slipping into fundamentalism. So were was the church environment that you were brought up in, was that a fundamentalist environment? Cause there mm-hmm. are a lot of people that are like, I get saved or for lack of a better term. And, and the environment that they're in is very, as, as Richard Rohr might say, it's a very cleaning up kind of stage of, of spirituality. So was it, was it like that or did you not really experience that until you went to Liberty? No, I definitely experienced that. So when I went back, uh, got back involved in church, um, I went to a church. I don't even know if it's still open. I should probably Google that one day, but it's called Kelview Heights Baptist Church and it's out in Midland, Texas. And it's an independent, regular Baptist church. And so that's like an offshoot of the SBC that basically said, y'all aren't, you know, we, we want to go a little further than what you want to go in. And so, yeah. you know, the pastor there, um, you know, biblical inerrancy, biblical literalism, very flat reading of scripture, a very end times eschatology and fear-based version of church. Uh and, you know, that would be preached every single Sunday and also preached to, you know, I, I volunteered there, you know, in many ministries as I went to a community college before I went to Liberty, you know, teaching Awana Cubbies and, um, you know, basically uh, I would, I would, as I look back now, you know, probably did trauma to some of those young kids. Um, mm. But I do want to say I'm thankful for that church, like whatever I am today they are a part of that. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I couldn't go back to that church today. I don't, I I couldn't, there's just no possibility. It just wouldn't work. I would be frustrated. They would be frustrated. One of us would get in a fight. You know, I just, it just wouldn't work, but yeah, it was extremely. So if you take, yeah. So let me put it this way. Liberty was slightly more liberal than what I grew up with. Oh, wow. um, and now Liberty is not the most fundamentalist of all private Christian universities, but yeah, it's also not the most liberal either. Yeah. So though, after I graduated, it's probably gotten more fundamentalist as it's become more political, but yeah. So, so then, so you went to Liberty and you, after leaving, you kind of had this, that's not Jesus moment. As you said, what was that any sort of specific thing or or specific theological problem that really started triggering that kind of, uh, I guess, snowball? I mean, it wasn't, it was a lot of specific problems, but the way that I triage things in my brain, um, and so I'm going to be pop culture here because everybody likes to talk about the Enneagram, but so I'm a five on the Enneagram. And so I, I silo things away and I always have like, I have to mm-hmm. read all of the things before I make a decision. But once I make a decision, that's the decision. And it takes a lot to get me to p- to pivot, um, which has really made, you know, ripping faith apart and putting it back together very traumatic, you know, when I was yeah. so, I was so certain. Um, and I try to hold certainty very loosely now, but I don't know that it was any specific thing. I, it, when I think back, so there, there, there are, um, what do you call them? Like mile posts or, um, you know, I, in Texas, we have historical markers where there's, there's things that you should pull over and look at on the side of the road as you're mm-hmm. driving down the interstate. So that would be, you know, the birth of my son, um, something about something in me broke open emotionally, um, when I became a father, uh, and there was a much, much more to his birth story that I won't, it's not fair to my wife to talk about here. Um, but it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was scary, uh, for me. And, um, and then I can also remember before that, just the way that when I was at Liberty, we attached ourselves to the mission to go to Iraq and villainize, uh, for no reason in, in retrospect. Uh, but I can remember being like just a bad taste in my mouth of what are we doing? Like, what are we, why are we doing this? This doesn't seem appropriate. Um, but those are some of the two. And then, you know, after my son was born, that's when I began questioning things because I realized I was going to have to explain myself and the way that I practice my faith, not what I say my faith is to him. 
but what it looked like was nothing worth explaining. And, um, and so I began to then rip apart things. I started with the virgin birth, uh, and then I went on to uh, the Genesis account, and then I went on to homosexuality, and then women in ministry. Basically, all the things that I was told growing up, I can't talk about this. We don't talk about this. You don't have yeah. enough faith, Seth. The fact that you're questioning this means that you're just, you know, where are the fruits? You know, you're just not, you're not living... You're not living for Jesus. You know, where's the fruit? You shouldn't have any of these doubts. Uh, and so yeah. I just systematically rip them apart over and over and over again. Dang. No, it's, I, that, that sounds very, very familiar. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a six on the Enneagram. And the minute sixes, they either submit themselves to authority kind of blindly or they're just like burn everything to the ground. And so <laughs> I was in a... I was, I found myself, my wife and I, it's funny because my wife and I are both sixes. Um, but we found ourselves, it's not, it's not a funny situation, but we found ourselves in a pretty traumatic situation where I was just kind of submitting to it blindly. And the minute that I recognized that it was an abusive situation, my, like the polar opposite of my six kicked in and I was like, forget all of it. Like, so for me personally, I mean, it was traumatic because so much of it was like you said, it's, you don't have enough faith. Why are you even having these doubts? Um, but at the same time for me, it was, it was very easy for me to start tearing down those walls, but it, it is a traumatic experience nonetheless of, of really decentering yourself. Um, but so what, what did that look like as, as time went on, obviously you're out of college and, I'm assuming the church that you were at at this point in time either looked a lot like or resembled what you had grown up in. Uh, so yes and no. So structurally, well, so there were two churches that we were in. Part of this time, we still lived in Lynchburg, and we went to a church that has now blossomed into having multiple campuses, and they, you know, the the pastor is extremely charismatic, and I still like to listen to his sermons because the man can preach. Um, uh, but mostly it was the music that drew me there. There's a guy named Nick that ran the music and it was just really well done. And, um, you know, the music pulled me in. I could, I could do my own research on the side, but I couldn't really do the music cause I hate Caleb. You know, I just, <laughs> I, I couldn't get the music and, and they, they were pretty intentional with the music there. And then we moved yeah. up to where we live now. Uh, we knew that we were going to have our son. And so we began looking for churches that had a support staff for that. And it ended up being um, a cooperative Baptist fellowship of Virginia Baptist church. I don't know if you're familiar with the CBF or not, um, but that's the church that we landed on primarily because they were one of the only churches that actually had a family's minister, someone dedicated to young children and also had a youth pastor uh, and most of the churches in my area, I think we might still be the only church that has full-time vocational ministers for both of those positions. Wow. Um, the, the, the church puts their money where their mouth is. I don't know how long that is actually sustainable because it costs a lot of money. But, yeah. um, you know, it's it's been that way since, you know, all three of our kids were born. And that's the church that they call home. Though I will say I'm fairly certain from conversations that I've had with other people about their pastors, like my pastors, but my pastor has been on my podcast and, yeah, and um, you know, we, we do church entirely differently. He is more than happy to entertain Eastern ideas and blend them with Western thought and push people. Um, we spent an entire summer series last summer doing just the minor prophets because nobody, you know, it just, we spent 13 yeah. weeks in the minor prophets. Uh, but yeah, so we're part of that church, but it, Structurally, looks a lot like what most people churches are, um, but the way that they practice, uh, they have space for someone like myself and encourage it, and they are also entirely fine if you don't want to show up and ask any questions, if you just want to show up and do church. So I, I find it fairly healthy, though we visited a bunch of other churches and it just didn't work. It just it just didn't work. Yeah, no that that makes perfect sense. That's that's so that's so good to hear that that you did find a, a, a church that I don't want to say works as some kind of like cheap like oh it works, but like it, it it's it's a really good thing when you can find a church that that works with you. I find that so many, especially for someone who who 
who grew up in a in a more fundamentalist environment and then went to liberty those kinds of circles they are not all that happy with questions and especially in in the churches that that kind of stem out of those ideas so that that may that makes my heart very happy to hear that that you guys found a church very it sounds like fairly quickly that that was willing to to welcome you in with open arms uh i don't know that it was quick so i can remember when we moved up here i think it took us over a year to find a church um mm-hmm. part of that is because like much the way that i read like i wanted to sample all of the churches yeah you know uh and and then eventually like when we settled on one we still weren't sure and so we gave it a few weeks and then we'd come back, give it a few weeks and come back. Uh, but we took probably a, close to a year to settle on one. And I can remember, so it was a different pastor at the time. He came to the house and we, you know, we had that conversation. He was kind of an old school pastor where he wants to come out and meet anyone that has thinking about joining the church as a, as a member. And, um, I asked him a lot of hard hitting questions and he sat on my couch and was, you know, his name is David. He said, on my couch, he's like, I love every bit of this. This is why you need to be in the church. Our church will be more healthy because you're asking these questions, which will force others to come up with answers and pray about it and think about it. And then the current pastor that we have as well is very similar. You know, if these questions make us all healthier, please ask them. Yeah. Continue to ask them. Yeah. No, those are, those are, yeah. That, I mean, still, that's that sounds like a sweet deal. I wish some of the people in my life had, had said, keep asking these questions, keep, keep pushing me a little bit, but that can't, can't all have that. But I, 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 since you, you mentioned the, the, the way that the church practices and how they put their money where their mouth is, I, I'm interested to hear about your practices and, and one practice in particular over the, the course of this time. I know for so many of us, it, it's super Sometimes it's it's very difficult for us to maintain our, our spiritual practices during during deconstruction and during kind of a, a shifting theology or, or a, a shifting worldview. It, it's hard to kind of maintain some of the things that we grew up with. So over the over this time, what did your practice in in your spirituality begin to look like? Uh, well, it changed like every year for the longest mm-hmm. time. Um, but I will say, so there's a couple big practices. Some of them aren't really theological, uh, but some of them are. So the first practice that I did, uh, and I, if I remember right, my wife and I were talking about it and she was like, you're going to have to stop arguing with people, like just stop. And so that was like the first big practice is I just stopped trying to be right on social media or in person or anything. So it's like a practice of listening, if that makes any sense, um, which has been very helpful uh, because I find if you just don't speak, people would just continue to talk. And if they can get their whole complete thought out, you'll often actually hear what they're saying instead of just hearing what you thought they might've been saying yesterday or whatever. Um, so there was that and I, I struggle with that, but I'm getting better at it every, every day, every week. Um, (laughs) but overall I'm much, much, much more healthy with that, uh, than I used to be. And then outside of that, you know, I had lost the practice at Liberty of really digging into the Bible, studying it and ripping it apart because I just read it and then moved on. I didn't really wrestle with scripture, didn't wrestle with God. Uh, And so that's still a practice. I I read the Bible for, I read the Bible many, many times throughout the week. Um, I try to, I try to make sure that I'm digging into things that aren't normally they're like, I don't spend all of my time in the new Testament. I don't spend all of my time anywhere else, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. like, like, so for, so, um, and I, and I continue to do that. So the bulk of last year, I spent a lot of time, um, in, in all the wisdom books, but also in the Apocrypha. Um, and then, you know, this year I'm spending a lot of time in Islamic books, uh, just because I want to learn. And then the other thing that was life changing for me and continues to be life changing for me is um is so there were two things that i kind of engaged with in the same time so about two and a half years ago two years ago um so i picked up alexander shia's book who's dear friend of mine his heart and mind book which this will sound like a plug but it's not you should go buy (laughs) it but it's definitely not a plug um it it 
the way that it breaks apart the gospel and the way that he talks about it being a different way to read scripture really has helped me recenter um, the way that I read scripture, the way that I hear and see God, and then the way that I actually practice things. Because most right. of the books that I read are just knowledge, but there's no practice. And that book's a lot of practice. And it's a lot of history, and it's a lot of anthropology, and a lot of, you know, when the Gospel of John was written, that was right when this was happening. And so that changes the whole context of this, that, and the other. So there was a lot of that in there. Uh, and then I can remember speaking with Aaron Nequist uh, in one of the episodes of the podcast. I don't even remember what episode it was. 26. I, I can't remember. There's there's too many now. Um, <laughs> and before I hit record, he, he's like, hey, before you hit record, how are you doing, et cetera, et cetera. And in the course of reading his book, um, I came in contact with a process called The Examine, which uh, at first was extremely foreign and still today sometimes feels foreign. Um, but as I read through that, the book itself that he wrote isn't about the examine. It's about, um, you know, entering into the flow of life because Christ is already there. And it's about like church is a gymnasium as opposed to a place you go. It's a place that you come to train, work out, flex some muscles, stretch, and then go do something with that, you know, um, you know, build build your muscle at church as opposed to coming to get fed at church. It's not a cafeteria. It's not a Luby's or whatever. Um, <laughs> but he talked about one of the things he did was the examine. And then when we talked about it in the episode, I was like, what is this? And so I have since then, so for almost two years now, done the examine almost every day. I don't think there's many days that I've missed. And if I did, it was like because of the flu or something like that where I was literally asleep. Um, and it is... It has slowed me down personally. Uh, I feel so much less angry and I'm also way more expectant um, for every single day. Like I, I used to just wake up and do the grind and now I wake up like just looking. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, that, that's amazing. I, I, when you said that you wanted to do the exam and I was, I was very excited first off because I, I actually just listened to that podcast like last week. Oh, with Aaron? Uh, yeah, that that I I told you I've been going I've been going back through <laughs> the the catalog and that that one and the one with um with Alexander Shia, which by the way that can totally be a shameless plug because <laughs> his that interview blew my mind. Which one? So, so he's been on three, four, five times. Which one are you talking about? The uh, the the one about the the four the four gospels. Oh, the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blew yeah. my mind. Yeah. And so literally I went, I remember after that, I went and just downloaded every single interview I could find with him in it just to hear him talk about, <laughs> about it. So that can totally be a shameless plug of if, if you have not heard of his stuff, go, go find it. Yeah. But uh, I, I was excited first off because I, I haven't, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with it or, or first off because I heard the podcast, but second off, I'm not familiar with it. And then lastly, because it, it, prayer is such a weird thing in in the evangelical church. Of I, everyone wants to write a book on it. No one wants to talk about it. Everyone wants to to, to give their own input of like, oh, well, this is how you should pray. And and I mean, I I've read a few books on prayer, and 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 none of them have stuck really in in like a, a profound and, and tangible way. Mm -hmm. And so, really going back and, and digging through some of the, the older practices uh, has, has been really helpful for me, but just to, just to hear about the examine and hear how about, hear about how it's impacted you. I think it'll be helpful for me. And I think it'll be helpful for so many other people just to be introduced to, to a different way of praying. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want me to, you want me to introduce it then? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love for, for you to kind of just talk about like, what, what does that look like? I mean, I know that there, there are a few different, um, a few different steps to it and, yeah. and a, few, a few different ways to do it. If, if yeah. you will. Well, I'll walk you through the way that I do it. Um, I have okay. it taped up on the wall here, but I also now have it memorized, but for the longest time I needed it taped up on the wall. So I'll try to frame it in a bigger conversation. So as I read, Aaron's book. I was also reading uh, a book from Mark Karras, uh, Karras with a K, K-A-R-R-I-S, um, mm -hmm. on prayer. 
And Mark was basically saying, you know, prayer is not transactional. It's not, I prayed, now God, you do something. I think what he actually says is, you know, I pray, you listen, you speak, I listen, and then together we do something. Like, I become, mm-hmm. like, we do this together. And, and so that kind of ripped apart prayer for me, and then I dived into the examine. And so basically, for those that aren't familiar with the examine, it's it's an Ignatian practice, and that Ignatian word comes from Ignatius of Loyola, uh, and it's about 500 years old, um, mm-hmm. which I actually like. So it's about as old as Protestantism. And I wonder... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I just it just gives me a lot of wonder and pause, but I would have to do so much more digging um, on on that. I'd I'd like to. I, I want. There's a part of me, Chris, that wants to know what, like the Protestants of the day, a hundred and you know, fifty, four hundred and seventy years ago, like thirty years ago, and they're like, "What is this examine thing? This guy just doesn't get mm-hmm. it." But the way that it kind of <laughs> works is. The way that I like to think of it is it's a it's a prayerful reflection. And so there's there's basically five steps. And so I do this twice a day now because it doesn't take long. Um, but the, the first step is you just, and so this will remind people of centering prayer, but they're entirely different. And I haven't done a lot of centering prayer. So you, you basically just sit there in silence. The goal for step one is to just calm your body center your mind, settle down, like take some big breaths, almost like you're going to try to meditate or something like that. And the goal there is just to become aware that you're in the presence of God. Um, And I want to reframe that there because you are already in the presence of God. You're literally just tapping into the fact that you are in the presence of God. And then once you're there, uh, step two is kind of review the day that you've just done in gratitude. And so um, what I like to do is, is I'll ask and I'll pray, you know, you know, God, I'd, I'd like to look at today as if I'm looking through your eyes, help me focus on the gifts. What did I receive? What did I give for others to receive? And I'll spend a considerable amount of time just reflecting hour by hour through the memory banks of the day looking for things to be grateful for instead of instead of the way that I grew up praying asking for things just asking I want I want please do please do please give you know I just looking for gratitude and then thanking for that gratitude uh and then the third step um would be you know once once I've found a few things that I can really be grateful for um, and that can be anything. That could be a person. It could, it could even be something that brought me sadness. You know, it can really be anything that you're grateful for. Um, what I th- do then is I try to draw even closer to God in that moment. Like I'll dig into that moment even further, searching for the joy um, in that moment and the rapture and the fulfillment and the closeness that you get to God in, in ecstasy. Uh, and then I try to hold on to that feeling for as long as I can. And then what I will do is I will invert that and I will try to find the things of the day that made me feel isolated, that made me feel sad. And then I will meditate on those for a bit and then I'll bring those to God as we work through them together. You know, just he and I working through the worst parts of the day. So I, I begin with gratitude and then I, I go to the parts that beat me up and reflect on those. Like, why did they beat me up? How can I see God in that beating up? Like just reflecting on it over and over. And then what I'll do is I'll pray for the one thing of the day that brought me the most joy. And I'll pray for the one thing that brought me the most grief. And oftentimes those are people for me lately. They used to be emotions. Um, they used to be events. But lately they're just people. Um, I see so many people with what I do at work. Um, and a lot of that, there's just, you know, I, I work at a bank. So there's a lot of heartache that comes to my desk. Because as the yeah. manager at the bank, I only get people when everything's broken. But I see a lot of people in death, like they'll bring in death certificates and that type of stuff. And 
And so I just see that. And then the way that you end the exam, and so step, so I'll, I'll reframe. So you've got, you know, step one is just become aware of God. Step two is review the day and gratitude. Step three is review that again, focus on the joy. And then you pivot to um, where you felt broken in the day. And then you pray for both of those things. And then step five is you end the prayer looking forward to tomorrow with unadulterated hope and joy and expectations that tomorrow I'm going to find more joy. I'm going to find more grace and more radiance and more life. And and then that's how I end the day. That's the last thing that I do before I go to bed every day. Um, which is a great way then to wake up in the morning going, where is it? Where am I seeing God? How am I seeing God? You know, which then becomes the fuel for the next prayer that I usually do around lunchtime uh, as I try to, as I try to recenter, if that makes any sense. That was yeah. a lot. I'm sorry. I know that was a lot. No, I got on a yeah. roll. I couldn't stop. <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. I, I love that. I, I, I mean, we're, we're recording a podcast, but you couldn't see, I was like smiling the whole time. I was kind of trying to, as you were talking, both listen and, and kind of think through what that would look like for, for me to do that right now. And it, 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 it's crazy. Even just doing it for a second, you, you feel this like immense high and then you feel this super deep low and then you feel this surrender and then you feel this hope. And mm-hmm. it's, it's all that, I mean, even just for a second, it's this, it, 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 it just kind of sucked me into this intense emotion. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, Shoot, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of taking it back right now. But um, well, I but can wow. remember, I can remember, Chris. So when I first started, um, I was so frustrated with it because I didn't know how to pray that way. Like mm. I'm used to praying, you know, Father, you know, be with Chris today, yada yada yada. Help me get that job, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the way that you <laughs> hear people pray, and that's entirely foreign to the examine. Yeah. And so I would sit there. I I was pretty good with sitting still, but I was not very good at realizing that I was already in God's presence. I felt like I needed to ask God to be with me. And so that was the one of the hardest parts for me was to sit still and literally just quiet myself in such a way that I felt prepared to now look for gratitude because I found if I couldn't do that, it was really, really, really hard. Like, I think we're all programmed to only find the bad things in life. Yeah. Um, and that it would just derail me. And so I would sit there for 20, 30 minutes, just so frustrated. Um, until eventually, one of the things I remember was, you know, I, I was thankful for the time that I just had to be frustrated because I know so many other people don't have 30 free minutes. And so <laughs> thank you for giving me a safe place to sit here in frustration with you. And yeah. find the time to realize that I even have the time to do this, which really sounds weird, but that's where it started for me because I was so flipping frustrated that yeah. I couldn't find anything worth being grateful for. And then I'm like, well, God, what am I just ungrateful? Am I not yeah. like, am I, what am I, what, what, what have I become? Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, no. I, and I, I, I love what you said earlier about, about always being in God's presence of, especially growing up in, in the evangelical church. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming you are, but if you're familiar with the, with the acts model of prayer, the, the ACTS. I don't the, know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that analogy or that. So it's, a, it, so it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which mm-hmm. was how, how I was taught to pray. And, and it, and and how a lot of people that, that I I know that are that are my age, it's kind of like the well, this is if you don't know how to pray, this is how you pray, and and I, it it kind of leaves this like well, if you don't adore and and confess and and thank, then man, those supplications like you're doing it wrong. Like it that's kind of the the if you don't do the dance and and jig the jig, then he's not gonna hear your heart and and actually care about, <laughs> about what you have to say. Like he's going to sit up there and be like, Oh, you know that, that one thing you didn't confess. Yeah. Like, I'm just not going to hear you today. Yeah. But I, I love that idea of, of just being, being in his presence, but also not just that, but being grateful. I, I feel like in, in our culture, there's some, I mean, there is a lot to be, to be really upset about and in, in a lot of different ways, but and, and you even said it of, 
of it, it, it took a while for you to discipline yourself to be grateful. And I'm not, I'm not a grateful person. Like I'll just be flat out. Like I love complaining. There's nothing I love more than a good <laughs> like vent. So, so that'll, that'll, I'll try to put that into practice, but I, I can imagine that will be, that will be my hurdle as well. Um, but so you, you were talking about the, the, I think it's conspiratory prayer mm-hmm. is, it, so with with the examine in mind, and I know they're kind of two separate practices of prayer, but how do you think that those two things kind of play off of each other, of, of being centered and then walking into a a, um, a, a, a prayer that is be asking to be the hands and feet of God in the environments that you're in? Yeah, so, um, so I hope I, it's been a while since I read Mark's book, but um, so I hope they don't do this wrong. But so for me, conspiring prayer helped to reframe, gave me permission to pray in a different way. Uh, Because Mark's whole book is basically saying petitionary prayer is not effective. It's not helpful. It's not, it, it may be useful in the fact that maybe it makes you feel better, but it's definitely not moving the kingdom forward. Uh, it is making God evil. If you look at, you know, Chris is praying for a new job and he got one, but this kid just died because mom was praying that the kid wouldn't die, but the kid Mm. died. So God's either a monster or he doesn't care about her and he only cares about you. You know what I mean? And, and both one of those has to be true or maybe both of them are, or maybe none of them are. And so what Mark was saying was basically, you know, when we pray, we're not asking anything of God. We're conspiring to, to, to basically do work with and through God. So instead of like, you know, praying for the people that are hurt by gun violence, um, I, one of the prayers in that, and, and I'll badly paraphrase it, is Mark basically saying, you know, like he opens it with, you know, uh, here's what this would sound like. Um, you know, God, we're aware that this breaks your heart just as it breaks us. And we're aware that you also mm-hmm. don't think this is okay. And we also don't think it's okay. And so what we're asking is that you would sh- show us how to better bring shalom in this situation. Like, who do we need to walk alongside and love without judgment? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so as opposed to just saying, you know, pray for the families, you know, God be with them and comfort them. Like, for some reason, he's not already there. Of course, God's already with them and comforted them. And of course, he's crippled in grief that anyone's hurt. And that's just yeah. in that example, you know. Um, but so I think for conspiring prayer, it's basically that. It's, it's, it's you don't pray for God to do anything. You pray in expectation that God is going to show you what to do. And then you do it. Just, yeah. just flat out do it. Whatever, right. whatever you think that is. Um, and the way that it kind of blends with the examine is reflecting on gratitude. Uh, if there's anything that I've learned that like that joy is literally the fuel when things fall apart, at least for me, that allows me to continue to do things. Like it's almost like you're filling a spiritual fuel tank with joy and compassion and grace and peace. Um, you know, maybe the beatitudes and then you're doing Mm -hmm. something with that. Like you're physically doing because it is, um, it's exhausting to do and work and live and love and grieve and cry and mourn or celebrate with the people that are around you. Like it's physically and emotionally exhausting. Um, and that's why I think that practice of prayer refilling yourself, um, is, is just so important. Yeah, no, there, there's, there's so much in, in, in our culture and, and in a lot of the circles that, that I'm sure you've interacted with and, and that I've kind of seen that they just kind of run at, um, at crisis, which is good, but eventually they just kind of burn out and, mm-hmm. and fizzle out of like, let's do justice, like, yes and amen. But there's really no recentering. And I think a lot of that is, is probably because the the church has done a really poor i don't want to say church but the I'll, I'll say that for lack of a better term but the culture that we live in has done a really poor job of of teaching us how to center ourselves so that that practice is is 
is is super helpful. Um, how 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 is how has it impacted this? This will be the last question about the examine, but how how has this practice affected your relationships with other people, like uh, from from your marriage to your relationship with your kids to even the relationships with with the people that that you don't agree with on Facebook. <laughs> well, it hasn't it hasn't really affected my relationship with those people on Facebook <laughs> because I'm not sure that I that I necessarily have one. Um, yeah. So, uh but with my family, uh it would be hard for me to judge that like I almost feel like you would have to ask them. But I think hmm. overall, um the feedback that I get from close friends and family is that um there's just something different. Like, like in church, there's just something different in arguments, something different, if that makes any sense. Like, um, I still get mad. I still fall off the rails cause I'm human. Uh, but I don't stay mad as long as I used to. Um, I'm much more generous with time and money and emotional energy when I used to really hoard that for myself. Mm. Um, you, you know, if, if that makes any sense. And I honestly yeah. um, and beginning to remember things better, um, especially with those that aren't necessarily family, like remembering things about other people, which allows me to have a better community with them because they're part of my day as I'm reviewing my day. Like, you know, yeah. how did like how did the head teller at my bank handle this situation? She crushed it. It was fantastic. Like she helped those people or how did that, you know, the person that I met bagging groceries at Kroger, like just, I'm I'm literally running through every moment of the day. And Hmm. so all of those little things that I didn't know that I was seeing or paying attention to, I'm remembering. And, and so I'm, I'm, I feel like for myself and I think my wife would maybe agree as well. Like I see a bigger picture and, and I'm also slowing down to maybe do something with it. Though I often fell at that. Don't hear me saying I'm killing it because I'm not. Yeah. I often fell at that. <laughs> but but I, I am much more observant of others around me, um, sometimes to my own detriment. Like I don't often, often I don't take care of myself because I'm so enraptured in watching what's happening in other people uh, just because mm. I'm paying attention. Yeah, no that that makes so much sense as to as to how that that affects and changes the way we interact with the world of of not not only not comparing ourselves to other people but also not worrying about other people. It, it's it's so easy to to sit and and watch the you you mentioned bagging groceries at Kroger, but every time there you see someone at another aisle freaking out at their teller, it's it's always kind of sick to like you get a kind of sick enjoyment out of watching something like that of, or at least, I mean, I don't know if you do, but I, I've definitely <laughs> found myself in, in situations where I've been like, all right, that's kind of funny, but it's not, but it, it, it it's, it's hard for a, as, as selfish as we can be, it, it is really hard to, to be introspective and to, to refocus everything on yourself um, in a, in a healthy way and in a good way and in a, in a way that, that, uh, bleeds out gratitude and, and worship. Um, and I know, I know we're running short on time here and it's getting late, but just, I guess two more questions of if, if someone wants to learn something about the, the examine or wants to know where to start. And I know you mentioned conspiring prayer. So I'll, I'll throw that in there as well. Uh, if someone's looking like, that sounds interesting to me. Um, where would you point them to start and and what advice would you give them? Mm, Well, I'll start with the advice first. Um, If you're like me, it will be a struggle, especially if you didn't grow up, um, especially if you grew up in, you know, Baptist, Lutheran, Protestant church, where liturgy and intentionality with like space built in there, uh, and, and mm. room for reflection if that was never part of your worship growing up. Um, and it wasn't for me, though I'm aware that there are some, you know, faiths that, that leave room for that. Um, that was really uncomfortable for me. And so mm. I would just want people to know that going in. 
Um, but I would probably point people to, um, so you could just go to ignatianspirituality.com and there is a massive section there of the examine, how it works, why it works. And then if you're on like Apple music or Spotify, like you can literally just type in examine and there are eight or nine minutes often just different guided examine meditations. And so there's like a leader saying, you know, here's what we're going to do. Take your time. Try to focus on one thing. All right. Now center yourself. Okay. So now think back this morning, right after breakfast, what did you do? You know? And so they're basically guiding you through the examine. Um, and sometimes those are examined through a lens of lament. Sometimes they're examined through a lens of a prophetic voice, but you know, there, there are other guided, I guess, meditations for lack of a better word for the examine, mm -hmm. uh, while you're kind of figuring out like training wheels while you're kind of figuring out how to yeah. do it. And, and now I find that I often don't like those, um, because I just want to do what I want to do, but I'll still use them sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and then with, uh, conspire, uh, conspiring prayer, uh, where, where would you point people for that? Uh, I would point them to Mark Karras and I can't remember Mark's website. Um, I'm pretty sure, uh, conspire, conspiring prayer. Yeah. I said it right. Dot com is the website, but if you go to Mark Karras's website, which is M A R K K R K A R R I S. Um, or if you want, you can go to the, my podcast website in the middle of the homepage is a little search box and you can literally type in the word conspiring prayer or Mark <laughs> Karras. And then you don't have to listen to it if you don't want to, but you can just roll down in the show notes and it'll be right there and you can click right to it. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's conspiringprayer.com. Okay. Yeah. You should, for, for anyone listening, you should definitely go listen to that episode because it's, it, it's another mind blowing episode. Um, and last question for you, Seth, I guess it's kind of a twofold, but obviously there's the podcast so people can find you there, but I guess like what, what's next for you? What's next for the, the podcast, but also where can people find you outside of the podcast? Mm. I mean, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook. I have Instagram, but I don't ever post personally there, like really ever, mm -hmm. unless it's an accident. I really don't. If I'm honest, I don't understand Instagram all that well. Like, yeah, I just don't yep. actually like my sister tagged me in a thing and it said it had been added to her story a few days ago. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Like I got a message, but where is it? Like, I don't know what that means. And I was like, whatever, I don't care. I have yeah. it because I need a place to post those memes that I'll make from, from quotes from the show. And that's yeah. a good vehicle for that. But outside of that, like, I don't really understand it. Um, but Twitter is where you'll get the sarcastic version of me. Um, you can follow <laughs> me personally at MR Seth price. Like, so just Mr. Seth price. Uh, I don't post mm -hmm. very often personally there. Um, I definitely post more as the podcast than I do myself. The podcast doesn't really get all that sarcastic. It's, it tries to say so. <laughs> um, there's like two different parts of my brain. I'm the most active on Facebook. Um, I have a small community of, it's like 300 and something people, um, in a discussion group that um, I don't use as a place to really advertise the podcast. It's a place mm -hmm. where people can just come and talk about faith. And it's it's one of my favorite little places on the internet. One of my favorite posts in there that I've ever seen um, is someone that said, you know, I need to talk about, you know, homosexuality and my family. And this feels like a safe place. And so can I just say this? And I've had other people, you know, say they're really struggling with this, you know, and then the comments are just people like, we're here with you. We hear you. What do you need? Not people yelling at people. Um, cause I kick those people out pretty quick when they, when they're in like that. Um, yeah. and so that's another place to connect with me. Um, yeah. And then the, the show is, can I say this at church.com as far as what's next? So, um, I have a friend that keeps trying to ask me to write a book and I know what I would want to write about. I just haven't found the time, um, hmm. to do, to do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I find other things to suck up my time. Um, and then, yeah, like I want to find a way to, you know, to do some live events, um, meet some people face to face, 
I don't know what that looks like, but, um, but yeah, I'm working on a series now and I don't know when it'll come out because I don't know when it'll feel complete where I'm going to spend many, many weeks, maybe months just talking to people of other faiths about their faith, like how they see God, why that matters to them to see what I can learn from them. I've, I've already recorded a conversation with some Buddhist people. I've set up some with some Islamic people um, and Muslim people and a couple, mm. a couple Sikhs and, um, you know, just really enjoying that so far. And so that will be at some time later this year, though I'm not sure when that will be. And, and so will, will there be a sabbatical then between the, the interviews that you have going right now and then that series, or, or are you hoping to, launch right into that as soon as you have it off the press. So the way that I record the show, I record like five in a week and then I can basically take three to four weeks and just be with the family. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if that makes any sense. So like I recorded uh, between last week and this week, I'll record seven by the time Thursday comes around, um, which will take me up to Easter. And then my goal hopefully is sometime in April, I can finalize all those other recordings and then run those until they're done. But once I start those, I'm not going to jump back in the Christian quote unquote river until there's completion there. Uh, cause I, mm. I feel like it would be a lurch back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Well, that's a, that's an exciting new project and I'm, I'm, I'm very, ex- I'm personally very excited to listen to that. Um, I mean, shoot, I thank you for, for being on the show and, and thank you for talking about the examine and, and how it's impacted your life. I know it's, it's been, it's been a, it's, it's a conversation that's blessed me and it's always refreshing to hear different ways of praying and different ways of, of reflecting on, on not only how, how good God is, but how good in a lot of ways that we take for granted that we have it, um, as, as people, um, because we live, we live in a society that kind of feeds off of off of outrage and and um, and complaining. But I mean, I I can't say it again. It's the end of the podcast, so uh, I'm I'm going to to talk you up. Like you have been a a huge blessing to me um, in so many different ways. Of your your podcast has been such a great resource and such a great treasure trove of of knowledge and wisdom. And and to hear your openness and the things that you hear and wrestle with and and talk about. It's just been, it's been incredibly helpful for me. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you before I let you go. Oh, well, thank you, Chris, for that. And and thanks for having me on the show. It's been a joy. All right. Well, have a, have a good night, Seth. You as well.